Hello, this is Peaches Valdez, Dean of Admission at Hamilton College. Welcome to the Alp. Welcome to the Alp, the Admissions Leadership Podcast, a series of one-on-one conversations with people who have been climbing the leadership mountain in college admissions. Some are nearing the summit, some are already there. But how did they get there? And what can other climbers learn from their mindsets, habits, and experiences? I'm your host, Ken Anselman, VP for Enrollment at Lawrence University and the Dan Saraceno Chair of Enrollment Management for RHB. And with me today, as you heard, is Peaches Valdis. Peaches, hello. Welcome to the Alp. Hello, Ken. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I, I'm excited to have you here. It's, I, I know we, we've been working on this. <laughs> I think we started this conversation after NACAC... What, 2004 times? Correct. Yes, we did. <laughs> and now here, I, I, I feel like the, I, this is finishing the year 2020 on a, on a, it's like the, the, the perfect close to the year. Yes, um, it is. So thank you for making time. I know uh, you, you said, now you're where right now? I am currently in Boston, um, but I've been spending the holidays on the Cape with my sister and her family. Oh, so we've been nice. going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Um, I uh, this is the first time I've recorded the podcast standing up. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, it's not that it really matters, but so the kids are home from college. I've got a um, and the house feels a lot smaller. So the place I normally record is the little family room, but that's where the Xbox is. And oh. blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> I've been relegated to a different room and have created a whole new soundproof studio with pillows and quilts and whatnot. It's a little much. Anyway, um, so if it sounds different, not that anybody's like that discerning of a listener, that's the explanation. Mm -hmm. It's because I'm standing. Okay. (laughs) Getting in your standing, you're watching how you stand, so that's good. (laughs) So we're here recording uh, during the holiday break. um, And I'm interested actually in just hearing what has the break meant to you? What has the break meant to me? Um, (laughs) One, I, you know, as we all know, um, time is relative and it, it, everything is a blurs day now. Um, and I think <laughs> Did you say blurs day? Blurs day. exactly. It's like, what day oh, is it I today? I, I, I've honestly been correcting my entire family. They're like, today's Tuesday. I'm like, today's Wednesday. They're like, isn't today the 29th? I'm like, no, it's the 30th. And so, um, but it just seems that it, what's been nice is that I haven't, um, been, you know, attached to my phone. I haven't been attached to my computer. I have been resting my eyes um, and I've been getting sleep, which has been really great. So, uh, so that's kind of how I've spent my, my vacation. You know, I, I, usually I would be traveling um, to visit my family. I have family who live in the South, but um, all of them have said, please don't. It's people are not wearing masks. People are, you know, or at least where they are, they're just like people are vacationing as they normally would and not realizing that there's a global pandemic still. Wait a minute, there is? Yeah, I know. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, um, so it's been, you know, it's one of those things we're staying, you know, it's, this is the first time I've actually stayed up North for the Hmm. holidays for, for the last 10 years. Um, I haven't, you know, I'm usually in South Carolina or in Georgia uh, visiting okay. family. So it, so it's a little bit different, but, um, you know, it's just keeping everyone safe. Everyone's staying in their own pods and not introducing okay. anything new. So Okay. Smart. Mm-hmm. Smart. When do you, when does the year start back up for you? So I will technically be back in the office on uh, January 4th. And I okay. think 
you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, all throughout this semester doing my virtual travel, you know, um, I've had students and counselors say, wait, aren't you, are you at home? And I'm like, no, I'm actually in the office. And I think because of where we've been located being, um, in Clinton, New York and central upstate New York, we've, you know, it's been, um, we've been a lot more fortunate to be able mm. to be open, um, to be able actually just to go into the office. So, um, so we have a small rotating staff that goes in and, and people do like coming in and out and, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's been nice having the students on campus and then they left for the holidays. So I'll be back with a small staff and, you know, we'll okay. see the students towards the end of January. That'll be nice. Mm-hmm. I think. Although Create the break some probably is. Pardon? Create some type of normalcy, I guess. Yeah. Hopefully. I, yeah. <laughs> I think so. There's a part of me that, that feel, I don't know, maybe it's just, I really, really, really want to believe that this is the only academic year it's going to be like this. But there's a piece of me that maybe it's just hope overriding everything else that the 21-22 academic year is going to feel a little bit more, a little bit less. How about less than the 2021? Right. Um, but I don't know. Where do you, if you were laying down bets, Peaches, what oh. are you thinking? <laughs> I, I mean, it was very, it was very funny because I thought by the fall that we would be kind of transitioning and, you know, it'd still be, we'd have to still make some adjusted adjustments to our lives, but things would be kind of plateauing and evening out. And, um, you know, and oh, I, think, you. I know I'm like, Oh, a half glass full everybody. Um, and then it, you know, even though I had staff members who were like, really, really peaches, do you really think we're going to have a normal winter break? Um, and so I've gone to a point where I, I, I think that, if I could place bets, I would say probably by this time Nobody's, next year. Nobody's going to hold you to it. I know, exactly. I could say, I don't have a crystal ball. No crystal ball. Um, I think that I think we'll have some type of relative normalcy by next yeah. winter. That's what I think. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are most of, well, I shouldn't ask it as a binary. What's the student situation uh, at Hamilton on campus? Sure. Um, it was, as I said, we were pretty fortunate uh, to be where we're located, a little bit yeah. in a more rural area, a lot more spread out. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, but I think the thing is, is our, um, definitely our president and our senior staff um, and our board of trustees were very much invested of, you know, making sure that we created a space that students and faculty and staff could feel comfortable and feel safe. And so we definitely, um, you know, they brought in modular housing for all the students oh, wow. who want to come back. Um wow. And we have a very aggressive testing policy for students. They had masking that students were wearing. Mm-hmm. We converted all these classrooms, very much what a lot of schools were doing. And I think what stood out was just because of our size. You know, we're, you know, 2,000 students total. Um, and we're spread out in this amazing part of the state. And that we could we could definitely accommodate better in many ways. Um, and in the end, I think probably about 85% of our students came back to campus and wow. did a, a combination of virtual and in-person learning. Yeah. Oh, so, wow. Good for you. Yes. So Good definitely it was um, a lot of investment, um, but just to make sure like this is, this is why students choose to go to a school like Hamilton. They want to be, um, they want to be residential. They want to be connected mm-hmm. with their faculty. Um, and I will say that I was extremely impressed with our student body and our faculty in general and just the staff, the community members, like they took it really seriously. They, you know, um, 
you know, they, they were very mindful. They called out their classmates. They called out their friends of like, if they weren't wearing masks, you know, they went for testing. People just showed up. And Mm -hmm. so it was one of those things where I felt like I was very fortunate to be in a campus um, that was, was able to do something like that. I'm still waiting for all the news stories about the colleges that beat the odds. Um, You don't see a whole lot of those, right? Mm -mm. (laughs) Because I think so much of the summer run-up was, no way, colleges, you can't do this. You shouldn't do this. You oughtn't do this. Right. But but it's colleges like ours that (laughs) seem to be getting it right. And and I think part of it was people didn't have faith in students. No. but you know, our our experience at Lawrence has been very similar to what you described, which is they they took it as seriously, if not more seriously, than even the uh, the administration and mm-hmm. faculty did, just in holding each other accountable, which is exactly. part of the beauty of a residential community, mm-hmm. right? Exactly, it's the okay. you know, it's everyone impacts one another, and so our you know our students. You know, of course, you know, they, there were times in which you could definitely people feeling strained about having to, you know, limit their movement and limit their ability to do things. But in the end, they were pretty much in the mindset of, in order for us to, to, you know, to provide the education that students want, we all have to be committed to this. And, and they, and I was very impressed. I, I, it was, you know, I think, again, as you were saying, I don't think people expected college students to obey the rules. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there are definitely those outliers where, you know, things were, the circumstances were definitely different and schools had to close. And, um, but at the same time, there are a number of us smaller institutions that were, that found ways to manage it and maybe had a little bit, had more opportunities or more, um, you know, aspects of their, of their, environments to allow for us, uh, for a more, um, manageable space. So. Well, bringing in modular housing, that's a, it's good for you. That's right. A, that's awesome. <laughs> I had to explain it. A family parent asked me that said, you keep on talking about modular housing. What is it? And I said, yeah. oh, are you familiar with double wides? Like, yeah. you know, that's, you know, we're not building buildings. We're actually like, right. they're built. We're just, you know, driving them in. <laughs> so, yeah, um, but definitely, you know, it's one of those things where I, I think they you know, it was one of those things where it was just an added level of security for a lot of mm-hmm. people. So yeah, that's yeah, I, I I would just say, you know, remember back after World War II when all the <laughs> GI, it's just like that. <laughs> um and people would look at me funny and say, Yeah, you really are an old person. <laughs> okay. Um hey, when I was uh no pivot whatsoever, mm-hmm. getting, getting <laughs> When I was uh, when I was prepping for the show, um, I, I noticed that you and I have something in common. We well, we probably have many things in common, but <laughs> one of the things we have in common is that we both worked for our alma maters. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, our first gigs in mm-hmm. the profession were at our alma maters and had unusually long runs uh, mm-hmm. in those places. So, um, yes. I'm not going to tell your story. I'll let you tell your story. <laughs> but where did you start, and how did you get into the profession? Uh, that's a, that's a great question. And a question, yes, it's a great great question because (laughs) people constantly ask me that question, whether they're in higher ed or not. My Mm. parents are also ones who still want to figure out, they're trying to figure out how I navigated this system. They are like, (laughs) we're not really one, they, you know, they, they aren't really clear of what I do. They are like, you read applications, you travel, like, you mm-hmm. work at a school. And so it's, it, but their mindset is not of what admissions and enrollment management is. And so, um, so when I was actually, so I went to Bryn Mawr College, a women's college outside of Philadelphia. 
Um, I, my plan was to work um, to major in political science, work mm. in Washington, D.C. on the Hill, and eventually go um, foreign service or work at the U.N. That was, okay. that was the plan going in. Well, I will um, scratch that other question yeah. off, which is, <laughs> if you had chosen the other path, what would it have been? And yeah, it, it, and that was that was the plan. That was the mm-hmm. okay. This is what I need to do. This is what I, I I love the idea of international travel. I love working with people from all walks of life. Um, you know, my parents um, immigrated here from the Philippines, for, so for me, it was very much a I want to be involved and invested in you know creating policies or implementing practices that will help newly arrived immigrants into the U S like that was kind of the path Mm. I was going in. Um, And I got to, you know, I think for many of us who've been in higher ed, uh, we started off as tour guides or we started off as volunteers. Um, Yeah. I was a tour guide and I thought this is a really fun job. I get to talk about myself, which is great. I get to talk, (laughs) uh, but talk about, (laughs) that sounds very, very superficial. Um, That's a laugh of recognition. (laughs) (laughs) But talk about it in a way and of why I was at that institution, why I was at Bryn Mawr. Um, It was a, you know, it was a place where I, I found it to be transformational, mm-hmm. um, as a scholar, as a woman, as a woman of color. And so for me, you know, I, the idea of being a tour guide was great. It was like, and I get paid, I get paid to walk. I get paid to talk to families. I get to pay, be paid to, um, market and promote a school that I absolutely adore. And so I kind of moved up the way and I, you know, of, of tour guiding and became an intern. And, and I, I had these these supervisors who were admissions officers. And I was Mm. like, this is a job. Like this seems like fun. You guys have fun all the time. And you know, they would smile at me. All the time. Exactly. They would smile at me (laughs) to say, right. All the time, Peaches. Absolutely. Um, And so when I, you know, I, they were some of my closest mentors. Um, And so for me, I thought, okay, well, this is nice, but now I'm going to go, I'm applying to law school. And so I ended up, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, do the real stuff. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do real stuff. Um, yeah. And so I went to law school right after college. Um, yeah. And okay. Yeah, I went to law school, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through this policy route. I'm gonna. This is what I'm gonna do. And I, mm-hmm. I had studied it. I lived in Italy for a summer studying international law. It's like this is what I want to do. And then I came yes. back. And I came back into my second year, and I'm like, I don't like this. I don't oh. want to do this anymore. Um, and it was one of those periods of my career or my educational journey where I was like, what do I do? Mm. Um, And my, you know, my parents being, you know, they were professionals, they were educated outside the United States, but, you know, coming from an immigrant family, it was very much a, you go to medical school, you go to law school, you become a professional, you don't go on this journey of self-exploration. Like you just don't, you have to have a plan. And so my parents said, okay, well, we'll support you right now, but you need to have a backup plan within a month. And I'm like, okay, well, where did I feel the most at home? And I felt at home at Bryn Mawr. And so I ended up connecting with a number of <clears throat> staff members, um, Nancy Benedict, who has retired. She was at, um, she was the director of admission and the dean of admission at Bryn Mawr, but then she moved on to, and I'm blanking out. Beloit. Lloyd, yes. Yeah, so she, I'm a huge yeah. Nancy Benedict fan. She's awesome. She's amazing. And Aww. so she told me, um, she said, listen, I, you know, I'm glad, you know, I'm sorry the law school thing didn't work out. 
And she said, but just so you know that you want to, you want to help people. You want to counsel people. You want to learn policy. FYI, Bryn Mawr has a graduate school with a law social <laughs> policy focus. So you should consider doing that. And while you're doing that, we have a temporary position open in our office so you can work for us. So it was one of those things where it was just like, okay, I think I can do this. Um, and so within two to three months, I had moved back to the Philly area. Um, I had started working in operations through the admissions office, um, operations, so processing. But then I was also Good doing alumni interviewing and going to college fairs like for admissions officers who couldn't make the trip. So I would just do that. And then I went to grad school full-time. Um, really? And yeah, so I ended up doing a double master's, the first in social work and the second in law and social policy with a focus on immigration. Um, and so when I was doing that, it was, I loved it. I worked at Bryn Mawr. I worked, I was going to school, grad school full time. Then I had, um, then while I was there, I ended up um, doing two practicums for two years. Um, and one was in working for um, the Philadelphia Philadelphia's Corporation for Aging. And so I was working, I was an ombudsperson for the city of Philadelphia, going to nursing homes, like doing oh, wow. advocacy work. Um, and not the nice, you know, they were, they were inner city nursing homes and it sure, was sure. definitely challenging. And it was, it opened my eyes. I grew up in a very rural town. I grew in Pennsylvania. You know, I lived, you know, I went to school on the main line. It was very privileged and uh, in a very privileged space. And then when I worked as an ombudsperson, I, I was very much exposed to the, you know, the realities of growing old in a city. Um, mm. And it was mind blowing and amazing. And it was sad. And it taught me a lot about just kind of the world. Um, and then my second year, I worked with the Jewish Federation um, of Philadelphia, and that was specifically within their legal department. So I was helping you know, their clients who were seeking asylum and refugee status or who had been for 10 years applying to become citizens. Um, I was doing translating, interpreting, and working with social services. And oh then gosh. they had me doing... Um, I worked primarily with my, towards the end of my year there, I worked primarily with the Indonesian community. Um, it was also right around 9-11. So you had all of these ethnic Chinese Christian Indonesians who were fleeing Indonesia because they were being discriminated against. And hmm. so I was working directly with them. And a lot of them were trying to find out ways to help their kids get into to schools. So I was actually helping them, you know, kind of navigating the, the public school system of Philadelphia. Um, and so I thought, wow, I really kind of like this. It, it's interesting to me. And then once I finished my degrees, I was, you know, I was applying for jobs, immigration firms. And then um, Nancy Benedict again said, hey, before you go to DC, because we know that's your goal, um, you know, we just had an assistant director position open up. And you've been kind of doing the work already. We would love for you to stay on for a couple of years that, you know, or for a period of time. And oh, Nancy, yeah, Nancy, exactly. And I'm like, Oh, I cannot say no to Nancy. Um, and I, for more practical reasons, I thought, okay, well, health benefits are great. I could earn some money. I can pay off loans. This is great. And, and that's kind of where it started um, was hmm. that just one gig as a temporary that led to full time. And then I stayed there for 17 years wow. um, and worked my way up. Do you, do you ever think about, that's probably not the right way to ask the question, but what your life, 
like how close you were to heading to DC and, mm-hmm. and actually going down that, going down that track. I do. Um, I, I do sometimes, sometimes when I'm reading applications late at night thinking, Oh, I wonder what other people do. Um, you know, or I, you know, when I, when I travel, I see people leaving at five o'clock and I'm like, what's that like to leave five o'clock from your office? Um, no, I, I mean, I do definitely think, I think I'd probably, I, I'm the, I feel like I'm the type of person who could probably be happy anywhere. Um, I also think that I'm the type of person who just, for me, I don't think that world is where I would thrive the most. Um, I could be, I could find my way to be happy. Um, I mean, I had a professor in law school who was very, he, for me, he was, he was not the half glass full kind of professor. Mm-hmm. And um, he was, but he, he taught me some life lessons and he said, listen, he said, you are, you are someone who naturally is a nurturer. You are someone who is naturally a counselor and advisor. I don't, he goes, I can see you being an advocate, but I don't see you wanting to play the game. Um, mm. And he said, because you have to sacrifice sometimes who you are and some of your, you have to lessen, you know, lessen yourself in many ways, or you have to, you have to change yourself in order to fit better yeah. and, and fit in the game. And oh, he said, wow. I just, he goes, I know this sounds horrible, but I don't think you have that spirit. I just don't. And I think as a 21 year old, you know, I definitely came up like, I went to women's college. I'm a feminist. I believe, you know, believe all these things. And here I have this, this older gentleman telling me like, you don't have the spirit to play the game. And, uh-huh. and I, then I realized later, many, many years later, I appreciated his advice because I'm like, I don't want to play in that game. I find that there mm-hmm. are other ways to play the game in, um, and, and contribute in a variety of other ways. And for me, it's, I, I found like I can make a change through education. I can make a change through higher education in general. I can change in yeah. enrollment. Like those are the ways that I can help build those, those communities and be a part of the students' lives who are actually going to be the ones who want to play that game. And I want to be a part of that. So, um, so it was interesting. It was, wow. you know, I do think about it a lot. Um, I think regardless of what would have happened, my, my vocation, my passion has always been about advocacy work. Um, yeah. and counseling. And oh, so I think wow. I would have ended up doing it, but probably just for, you know, maybe for a nonprofit or a community-based mm. organization. So. I have now learned that we have something else in common. <laughs> well, I, I, I thought that I was after graduation, of course, I'm going to go to law school because that's <laughs> what you're supposed to do. Although I had way less intention than you did. Um, I just thought law school was the thing to do. Mm. Um, and I, uh, the person who talked me out of it was my own father, um, mm. who wasn't, a, who is an attorney and retired now, but he said, have, have you seen what I do? I mean, do you <laughs> really know what it is that I do? Um, and, he, and he, you know, he described it. I, I had this vague notion of what it was, but um, he did me a very big favor, but kind of said the same thing that your professor said to you, which is, yeah, you could probably do it but you're going to have to do stuff you're not going to want to do. And I don't think you're going to rise to that particular occasion. He said it in a lot more, um, uh, well, uh, saucy uh, mm-hmm. language than I just used here on this show. Um, mm-hmm. But it was totally direct. Um, and it was a favor to me. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it pointed my nose back towards the thing I, I really wanted to do, but thought I need to go get a real job. 
Right, right. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Exactly. So parallel universes. Parallel. Um, absolutely. But we're in the we're in the we're in the right ones for us. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um. So you had a long run at Bryn Mawr. Mm-hmm. Um. And rose up through the ranks. Did the did the whole thing. Um. Mm-hmm. Any particular highlights of your your career arc there that uh, y- you have in your your personal hall of fame? Let's see. Um, hmm. An odd construction of the question, I'll admit. But just yeah, when you think back on it, were there were there things? I mean, that almost sounds like a job interview question. But, <laughs> but moments where you're like, oh yeah, God, I was really proud of us, or. Mm-hmm. And if not, um, we can, I can scrub all of this out. No, 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 no. Um, I was very excited and happy, and uh, when when Bryn Mawr went test optional, that was one mm. of the big things. Um, it was, I, you know, I definitely felt like it was an opportunity for us to create more access. Um, mm-hmm. It was an opportunity for us to um, really put our money, well, not put our money where our mouth is, but really reinforce our commitment to um, you are more than just a number. That's right. That you are, that, that there is, you know, quantitatively, that's, it, it is helpful at the same time. There's, you know, for schools that really enforce the whole community aspect and, you know, the idea that we are truly trying to build uh, well-rounded communities of scholars. I think that there are students who may testing, is definitely not, um, you know, their indicator of their potential for success. And, you know, and I, I will say I'm a little selfish with that. And I, in the sense Go that for it. I, I am a horrible test taker. I've literally taken everything but the MCATs mm-hmm. and I've done horribly on everything. Um, I just, I, I, you know, for me, my, my testing wasn't, for me, I don't think testing really showed my ability and my potential to thrive. And I and I I can see that when I when I read yeah. students' applications, when I meet them, and when I hear them talk about it, I, I envision, you know, I envision myself in a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of those things where I will I feel like I will always carry with me. And so I see, you know, there is definitely some value in testing. At the same time, I think that you know, especially the pandemic has shown us this that. Um, we can adjust, we can accommodate, we can find other ways to measure a student's potential for success That's right. um, and not just based on the testing. So I think that was one of the big things. I also, it was also at a time where we had some um, leadership change within the college itself. So, um, you know, my vice president or um, at the time, the chief enrollment officer at the time, she had moved on um, and uh, for some really great opportunities and our mm-hmm. dean had also moved on. And so it was kind of um, plopped into my lap of like, Hey, we're doing this. Let's figure out how this is going to work. Um, and it was um, one of those things where I, I felt like collaboration with the faculty was critical. Um, it was one of those times where I think the faculty faculty saw me more as a professional rather than a student. Cause I think that's always hard and you've probably experienced it yeah. too. Like they yeah. always see you. They're like, Ken, Ken, I remember you from freshman English or something like that. Like they that's see right. you, they see you in a lens of being just a student. Whereas, you know, I think this was, this was much later in my profession at, at Bryn Mawr, but it was a place in which people saw me. I was presenting to the board about this and I was presenting yeah. to the faculty and, and they yeah. saw me in a way that was not like, Oh, peaches, the, the gregarious one, the one who's always smiling, this is someone who's actually being very serious about something. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And for me, I, I think that was one of my highlights as well. It was, it was definitely um, challenging um, to, to jump on it at a later part, but at the same time, being able to, to work together with, with the team, with the enrollment division, work with the faculty um, was something that was, and to have such great support from the leadership, like with the president of the college too, who was there to back and support me as well. I mean, so for me, that was a really big highlight um, during my career um, at Bryn Mawr. And you did it before you did it before all the cool kids started. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You can Mm -hmm. be proud of that. I I know I am about us having done that at Lawrence and Mm -hmm. um, we're an old, old, you know, Mm -hmm. back in the, you know, I think it was 2005 maybe when we went test optional. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's a, I wonder how many colleges that are test optional now will remain thus when it's safe to go back and test. Sure. I mean, I think that's what we're, you know, that's what we're doing at Hamilton. You know, I think we're having those, we're, we're already having those conversations about what will happen because, you know, and I think every school is different. I think for Bryn Mawr specifically going test optional was, it was a very good route for them. You know, I, you know, I've been at Hamilton, I'm in my fourth year and I see how, you know, testing is used and respectively used at the same time. And it isn't the sole indicator of how a student's going to thrive either. And so they've done it like many other schools, they've done it very responsibly. Um, And so, but I, you know, I definitely do worry about, and you know, one of the things that does keep me up sometimes um, is, you know, once we're able to be in a space where we, you know, students can safely test and we're back to a more normal kind of schedule and, and process, will we, Will we go back to being mm-hmm. test flexible? Um, mm. You know, we were we were test flexible, so you know, students could submit subject scores and um, SA, you know, AP exam results, and you know, in lieu of the SAT or the the ACT. So my, you know, I wonder if we will go back to something like that to be a little bit more flexible than before. Yeah. So it's interesting because I know that for all of us, um, you know, schools are 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 going to have to make their decisions within the next month or so. Um, oh, no pressure. Like, I know exactly. I, I'm like, oh no, that's making me worry now. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> well, and you're not making policy decisions here exactly. on the Elf. Yeah, it's just thinking. Just I wonder. I'm I'm spending a lot of time here to, uh, thinking about what from this time, this terrible time, but a time that's also, as you said, has shown us some of the things we we can do actually, mm-hmm. and what's going to stick. Right. And, and what, you know, what are the changes that are changes for good to quote wicked? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and what are we going to fall back to or fall back's not the right word because there are some things, some practices that do make sense for colleges, but there's right. so many moments right now to really pick apart, deconstruct your process. Mm-hmm. Um, that and all, and, and also looking at the structural racism baked into the process. It's so many parts. I mean, you have this confluence of things that are going to change this profession profoundly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's exciting. It's scary, but it's, it, we're, I feel like we're moving in the right direction. Absolutely. I think it's easy to, I think prior to COVID, it, you know, we were, it, it allowed us, you know, to ignore things. Or not even ignore, just not focus a lot of attention to. Yeah. And what COVID not, no. has done. We're not going to deal with that. Exactly. Now. That's that's our five-year yeah. plan. That's our 10-year plan. Yeah, that's exactly. what you know, we're thinking for the future. Whereas I think COVID really kind of hit us in the face and said, you need to start thinking about these things now, mm-hmm. um, and which was good. I mean, I think we needed a wake-up call. And and totally. and what I've learned and from you know, talking to all my friends that work at other institutions, we quickly learned to pivot. And, and so mm-hmm. what does that say? It's like, 
now that we know we can pivot, we know yep. that we, we have a, you know, there is, we've now created a manual in a way that all college <laughs> and universities have created manuals for how to deal with admission in, in, during pandemic. Yeah. We didn't have one before. We do have one now. And so how can, you know, kind of thinking about in that lens, like how can we, you know, how can we continue to maintain the empathy that's always been in our profession mm-hmm. and that human understanding? And how can we, how can we make it more equitable? How can we work to, towards creating more equity in this process? Um, here, here. Yeah. Nailed it. Um, so after a, a good long run at your alma mater, mm-hmm. you went to another institution. It did. Um, and I don't know what it was like for you going from home to a new place, but I remember sitting at my desk at Lawrence for the first time on my first day and feeling literally like I wanted to throw up. Um, I was sick to my stomach, worried that, you know, I had made a mistake or, you know, Lawrence had made a terrible mistake um, and wondering if I should just go back. <laughs> but right. had already filled my position. Um, so hopefully it was a better transition for you than it was for me. And certainly it's been great at Lawrence since day one, but that trend, that, it, that transition can be tough. Mm-hmm. Um, what was yours like? Please tell me it was better. Um, it, it was, yeah, it was, it was better. <laughs> uh, it was definitely better. Um, it was, it was, I mean, if anything, I was getting more comments from my family than anything else because they, so just for some context, um, yeah, my, I have an older sister and I have a younger sister. Uh, we actually all went to Bryn Mawr. So, okay. so three, three kids at Bryn Mawr, my younger sister and I overlapped for two years for my oh. parents. They were familiar with Bryn Mawr since 1989. So, okay. so they were just like, it was, you know, they were, they loved it. They were like, that's this the is, college. This is the college. This is where you're going to stay the rest of your life. This is so convenient for us. Um, it was also a nice <laughs> little stopping point if they ever wanted to visit family. So it's like, oh, Pennsylvania, that's great because we can go to Pennsylvania and then drive off to, you know, Massachusetts or go wherever, New Jersey. And so it was very funny because my my parents were like, are you seriously thinking about this? And I don't think they realized it until I brought my dad to campus. Um I felt like a college kid again, like bringing my dad mm. to campus to see if he liked it. Um, and um, he loved it. He was like, this place is beautiful. And he, he was quoting stats that he'd been researching about Hamilton. And it was oh. cracking me up. And he met my boss and my boss is Monica Inzer. She yeah. has the same name as my older sister. So okay. he's like, if your name is Monica, our her Peaches' his older sister's name, Monica, you're strong women. And I'm like, oh, great. Thanks, dad. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it's it's just know, like a college visit. Like a college visit. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> trying to smile like, dad, this is my future boss. Like, um, And he said, you know, strong women have that name, Monica. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, perfect. Thanks, dad. So um, <laughs> the, the first day I got to the office, it was, it was, very surreal. It just, you know, I did, I went to my office, I sat down and I'm like, did I, did I do the right thing? Okay. It it made me question like, cause nothing, nothing seemed, you know, my phone rang and I answered and I was like, 
What Hamilton College, Hamilton College undergraduate admission. And then they started cracking up and they're like, I said, I'm sorry, did I answer it incorrectly? They're like, well, we're only undergraduate peaches. Because at Bryn Mawr, I would say undergraduate yeah, yeah, yeah. admission. And they're like, because yeah. we had undergraduate and graduate. And so they were, the woman who called just cracked up. She's like, you can just say Hamilton College. And I'm like, okay, great. Thanks. And it was, <laughs> they were so lovely and everyone was so kind. And, you know, um, you know, Monica had checked in on me. And, and one of the great things that they had planned was their director at that time was retiring, but they, they were able to negotiate it that I came in and overlapped with her for you. She was phasing herself out. So she only came in like three days a week. So she came in just to kind of, you know, to, to clean, you know, to work on stuff, transition herself out, but at the same time, help transition me in. Um, So, which was really, I'm like, wow, that was super nice and super smart. So, um, so it was great because I had this person, you know, I had Monica, but I also had uh, Laura Skilder, who was our director, she was helping me transition into kind of the day to day, and Monica was dealing with more, helping me more of kind of like campus wide, policy wise, what was going on, policy wide, what was going on campus, and so it was actually I felt very very supported um, in that, and then the staff itself were great. You know, they had seen me around on the road, um, but as working in another mm. institution, and mm-hmm. so so it was good being there, and and fortunately, I think one of the things is you know, um, I had traveled with Hamilton internationally a couple years prior to that. So I was familiar with Hamilton. I, I, you know, was familiar with their story. Um, you know, I had colleagues and mentors who were friends with Monica via the common app and just for the profession. So I knew I was coming to a good place. Oh yeah. Um, and so I definitely knew I was going to have that. It was just the idea of, I think, we all experience it's like first day of school. Like, will I make friends? Will they like me? Um, wow. I hope I don't mess up. Um, and I think those are the thoughts that came the first day. And and it was, it was funny because at the end of the day, someone said, you have flowers. And I'm like, okay, no one knows I work here. I mean, people know I work here, but like they, you know, I didn't really tell many people when my first start date was, and it was from one of my, um, my mentors, Jenny, Jenny Ricard. I had worked with her for like almost 10 years. She's someone I consider as a friend, but also more importantly, a mentor. And she has been, she has been with me. And has counseled me in so many different ways. And she sent me a card that was just like, congratulations on your first day. You know you are going to do great work there. And that was one of the things where I'm like, okay, that was really nice. Like that was oh, something yeah. that I needed. And and so it was it was just, you know, that was that was my first day. Um, and it was a great, you know, it was at, you know, towards the end of the day. And it was just just a great way to end the day and think like when I drove home um to my to my house, it was um you know, one, it was only a 15 minute commute in comparison to my 45 to a minute to an hour commute oh, back in Pennsylvania. And I, you know, I, gift. I drove past the farm country and I, I just, there was a quietness and I was like, I think I did the right thing. And so, so that's kind of how my day ended, but definitely the first couple hours I was definitely. Oh, what a great story though. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I got goosebumpy. <laughs> that one. That's really a lovely story. Um, so you were at Bryn Mawr for, for a long time mm-hmm. and, and I suspect there were opportunities that came your way. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the, what was the moment where you decided to describe what it was like when you actually thought I am going to make the, make the move. But I, I know when I, I, I was content at Marquette, I was mm-hmm. doing great. I had just come back from a staff retreat ready for the next year and my voicemail light was on <laughs> and it was, uh, 
Steve Syverson contacting me asking if I'd be interested in applying for the gig. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm, okay. Um, and, and I talked to people that I trust and, and they said, you know, if there's a place for you to make that, make a move, Lawrence would be a great fit for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of backed into the the search, but what, what was it, what was it like for you having been at, at your alma mater for a long time and, and getting ready to make that sort of move or how did it come to you? Well, it was actually, um, so probably into my 11th or 12th year at Bryn Mawr, I had been um, offered a position on campus. So it in addition to admission. So okay. it was admission. I was, I think it was an associate director, a senior associate director of admission. And because of my background, because I'd been an ombuds person, yeah. person, because I had done counseling, because I had worked with all these varied populations and because I was so familiar with the institution, um, you know, the president, uh, one of the former presidents said to me, you know, this, we have an equal opportunity officer in title nine officer position that has opened up. And I'm like, Oh boy. Okay. I was like, sure, that's great. And she's like, we feel like we would love for you to take this on. And I'm like, wow. In addition to admission, they said, yeah, you don't worry. You'll be able to balance it. Okay. Um, and <laughs> um, and then of course this is when title nine, they started doing the letter went out to all the colleges yeah. about the setting regulations. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, so I sure. did that actually, you know, but I felt it was one of those things where when the president asks you, do you really say no? Is that, mm. is that an yeah. option? Um, and and it was for me, I saw it as an opportunity. I think that's one of the things that all of my mentors and what I've learned from my career is that yeah. you, to explore, you want to diversify your your background and your profile. You're going to yeah. have an area where you're going to focus in, but you need, especially working in higher education, you need to know the various aspects. So it's not just solely in diversity work or recruitment or athletics. You need to really have a broad sense. And so yeah. I ended Great up doing advice. it for a couple years and I realized, uh, I don't think I could, I don't know if I could work on that side. Um, I love yeah. admissions too much, but what happened was, um, you know, in regards to your question, I think every year I probably, I, you know, every year I was getting calls saying like, this position has opened up. Do you think you'd like to move? And I'm like, no. Um, mm-hmm. And then I got to my 17th year and I thought, okay, there was a positioning opening up at Bryn Mawr for a new vice president. And I thought, okay, I could apply for that. But mm-hmm. if I do it, I'll, I'll be here. That's right. Forever. Like there will be no, I don't know if I would really want to move. Like this is, this is a, for mm-hmm. me, I was like, this could be a great gig. I could be here for a while. And I just have to understand like, that would be my, my sole focus and my sole background would be in, um, a highly selective women's college experience in suburban mm-hmm. Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is actually when I kind of, you know, walked back a little bit and I ended up talking to my mentors and Jenny was one of them. Of course, I always mm-hmm. talked to her, another colleague in my office who had been a former supervisor who had been, who was the director of admission communications. And then also um, I had traveled and worked so closely with the sisters, the other sister colleges. So yeah. Joy St. John and Jen Von Diller and Audrey Smith and Deb Shaver, all of those women have, I've traveled with all of them and I truly consider them as sisters and friends. And they, they definitely had their input. They were like, Hmm. you you need to graduate Peaches. You need to leave home. You need to try something new. Um, And all of them, they all, and of course they're the ones who can are like, you know, in a way like family, like they can tell me what, and, and, they're not going to sugarcoat it. They're like, 
you've only worked in these types of institutions. You've only worked with women or women or individuals who are, who identify as women. Um, mm-hmm. You've only worked in a suburban institution. You've only worked at a small school. You really need to leave your comfort zone. Um, and so I, there were a couple jobs that I had been exploring and had made it to the finalist stage. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. Um, <laughs> and then, then suddenly I think it was, I forgot what company it was. Uh, Napier. Oh, yeah, Napier. Where, where Nancy Benedict. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. So this okay, is just to close the circle there. Yes. Close the circle on Nancy Benedict. Um, she had actually, and it's so funny cause she actually, they were running the search for the Bryn Mawr VP job as well. Oh, yeah, so yeah. it's funny. So this happened all before that. And they, and they contacted me and they said, FYI, there's a, you know, I'm reaching out to you because you've been nominated by a number of your colleagues and friends across the field about the position at Hamilton. And we think you should consider it. And suddenly I started getting emails saying like the deadline's coming up. You really need to decide what you want to do. Um, <laughs> and I, and, and again, as I had said, I had traveled internationally with Hamilton. I knew there's a number of their staff members. Um, Monica was someone that I highly respected in the field. I didn't really know her very well, but I knew of her and I know people who respected her too. And I thought, okay, I like you, you like her. I would probably like her too. So that was, you know, that's kind of simple. Yeah, by syllogism. We're going to get along for it. <laughs> exactly. I think we're going to be fine. Um, and it was good because it was, you know, they were, you know, they would tell me, you know, my, my mentors and my friends are honest people. And they were like, Peaches, this is what you need to be exposed to, which you haven't had a lot of exposure to. So it was about like, you know, you've done enrollment management, but you've been primarily in this one area. You really need to focus on financial aid. You need to understand yeah. that a lot more. And she, you know, you, um, you really need to be, you know, uh, with someone who is going to have that, um, that really strong affinity for data. And Jenny had been a f- strong in data, um, mm. because of her background, Lori Kohler, who was also, who's also a friend and mentor, she was really into data as well. And so they're like, you need to be able to do this. And mm. Monica is going to give you that exposure. And so I thought, okay, well, let me just do this. I don't know. It's like, I've never lived out of the state of Pennsylvania. Like you've <laughs> got to be kidding me. And you know, oh my gosh, it's co-ed. What does that mean? Like all these very trivial, very superficial yeah. responses. Yeah. And then I did the interview um, and you know, they, I did the finalist interview and was on campus and um, it was it was, it was actually a really funny and good experience. Um, my car broke down on my way to Hamilton and oh, <laughs> so, no stress there, no stress there. And, um, because when, especially when they tell you we have this whole, it was a day and a half of interviewing. So they're like, we oh, have yeah. this whole thing lined up for you. And, yeah. um, I ended up having to get a rental car, but the only thing they had was a, uh, an extended pickup truck. Um, and so it like had, it had the second row cab for three people. It had the flatbed and it was, I think it was either a Ford or a Chevy or something. And I'm like, this is all you have. And they're like, well, this is all we have. Like, and, and just to give you some context, I drive a mini Cooper. So. <laughs> Which you can put in the back of that extended. Correct. I can actually put it in the flatbed part of the truck. Um, <laughs> So having, and they're like, are you sure you can drive this? And I'm like, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. I drove a Bronco. Yeah, I could totally drive this. Like, so I totally felt comfortable in it, but I was like dressed (laughs) in like a nice outfit with like pearls on and, you know, like with boots and like looking very professional. And here I am climbing up this pickup truck. So, um, 
That's so awesome. Got me, rolling up in that. I rolled up in it. I parked. I'm like, I don't even know where to park. Like, it was just very funny because I'm like, this is, <laughs> is this a sign? Is this a good sign or is this a bad sign? Um, I got to Hamilton. I they they delayed the the the, the more social parts. They're like, we're gonna send you on a tour with a student. We're gonna ha- have a nice casual dinner, and then you'll you'll do the heavy stuff the following day. And so, um, it was the visit is what sold me. It was yeah. definitely something that sold me. It was. Uh, a beautiful campus. Um, but what stood out to me was actually the student tour guide. He, he was amazing. He was a double major. He was also an athlete, but he participated in all these other activities. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're like a, a marketing, like you should, we should take your picture and post you everywhere. Cause he was just amazing. Um, and what was, what was funny was we walked around and people talked to him and then they started asking me questions. Like, they, they were like, who are you? Why are you here? Like, this is so nice to meet you. They start asking all these questions. And I thought, is this normal? And I asked him, is this normal? And he's like, yep, this is how it usually is during my tours. So um, I just found it to be a very warm, like, experience. Oh, wow. And so, you know, I, I loved the history of the college and the institution. And when when they told me that there was a women's college, their former women's college on campus, I was like, okay, this is, I think this is a good sign, like, you know, to have that connection the to pickup so, truck wasn't signed enough. The pickup truck wasn't signed enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So it was one of those things where I think they, um, you know, I had, I, all these crazy signs were coming at me and all these people oh, yeah. were saying like, you love Bryn Mawr. You will always be able to go home. You will always be able mm. to be there as, and, and serve as an alum and not as someone who just works at the college anymore. And after my trip to Hamilton and I got the offer, I was, I, I think I, within 24 hours, I made a decision and I was like, yeah. okay, I'm ready. So it's what been a great it's been story. A, it's been a fun ride. It's been a oh, fun wow. ride. Yeah. Well, I, I love this concept of, and it's not the first time I've heard it, but just how much you rely on your, you know, call it a board of mentors or mm-hmm. sisters or whatever, but just yeah. having these people who know you and most importantly, or more importantly, are going to tell it to you straight. That's right. what a, what a great resource. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at the clock and I realize it's it, it's time for a rapid descent. Oh, wow. Already. Rapid descent. I, I, I don't know if it went quickly for you, but. It my did. Goodness, oh my gosh. I could talk to you forever, Ken. Well, you- then let's keep going. <laughs> let's keep. Um, although I would ask this before we get to the, sure. the rapid descent, because it's it's the it's one of the questions I know um, I wanted to ask you, which is, mm-hmm. you know, if you could go back in time mm-hmm. and communicate with young Peaches just as she's getting started off on mm-hmm. her climb, what, what would you tell her based on what you know now? Based on what I would know now. Mm-hmm. What, how, wait, how old is young Peaches? You tell me. <laughs> when do you want to, when do you, when would you like to have a sit down with young Peaches? I would Is probably it? I would have a sit down with her in college. I would okay. when she was probably a sophomore in college. Okay. And I would say Peaches, there's this whole world called higher education and enrollment management. And it is a fun job and you will find the most amazing friends and colleagues um, in the world. You will never, you know, these this will be become a, a family. And you will challenge yourself and you will learn so much about who you are, but it will reinforce your commitment to um, helping people navigate through a sometimes complex process and, yeah. and providing some uh, reassurance that in the end, everything is going to be okay. And I hmm. skipped the law school thing. You don't, you know, it was, <laughs> great. It, was, it was great to learn things, but, you know, it was, 
and you'll have tons of friends who are lawyers. So don't worry about that. Um, but it was, you know, this is, this is where you need to go. Um, and I, I probably wouldn't tell myself to do a master's in higher education. I see that it's helpful. Um, but I felt like my master's in social work and law and public policy gave me Mm -hmm. a different exposure and gave me more opportunities to kind of, I, I, you know, learn how to navigate variety of audiences and people with different coming from different walks of life, which I don't think I would have. Um, I mean, I, I don't think, um, I probably would have appreciated it as much in many ways. And so I think it gave me a lot more exposure. Um, Mm. and I would eventually, you know, one day maybe I will get a doctorate or something like that in higher ed. But, um, it was one of those things where I felt like it gave me a lot of, um, life, life skills. Okay. mm -hmm. Well, I hope Peaches takes your advice. I hope she takes her advice too. She's smart. <laughs> I think she's pretty smart. She will. Um, thank you. This, this, these were great stories. I really, I, this was a privilege to listen to these and thank you for sharing. Them. Oh, no problem. Um, and I'm going to have pearls and pickups uh, in my, in uh, somewhere it's going to show up in this description of this show, I mm-hmm. think. Um, so now time okay. for time for a rapid descent. So yes. y- you know how it goes, right? Yes. Eight questions looking for some quick answers. So question yes. number one, what is your walkout song? Oh, so I, I was thinking about this one. So there's Good. this group. <laughs> so it, because it made me nervous. Um, <laughs> thinking about it. And, it, and I actually was talking to my sister and my brother-in-law like, what is your walkout song? Um, so the, this there's a song called Tilted. It's by okay. this French band called Christine and the Queens. Um, and it okay. is, it is, it's very apropos to, okay. to life in general. It's about not constantly, it's about constantly trying to find one's balance and that okay. sometimes it will never be achieved, but you will kind of get to it as close as you can, but we're all tilting in some way, whether that's professionally, whether that's socially, personally, emotionally, but the idea is like, you're going to get through this. You're just going to have to, you're going to have to kind of roll with it. And it's, you know, I had studied French in college. I had traveled to France. And so I, I try to pick up, maintain my French and, and uh, like conversation or um, uh, comprehension. And so I, I love this song. It's, mm. it is definitely, it's a nice funk pop classic well, 80s kind of all mixed together, but it's, it's a fun song. That is going on the Spotify playlist mm-hmm. and the Apple playlist. I've got two of them. So, I mean, you can go back and anyway, so what's going on? So Tilted by Tilted. Chris, Christine, Christine and the Queens. Christine and the Queens. All right. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yep. Question number two, what's the best thing you've read lately? So I finished just recently the, a book called The Farm. Okay. Um, and it is a, uh, let's see, who's it written by? It is written by um, Joanne Ramos, who is a Filipina author. Okay. And it's a combination of The Handmaid's Tale and The Help. Um, oh. But it's talking about, it, it's actually talking about the idea of meritocracy. It's talking about immigration, talking about this these waves of new immigrants coming into, into the U.S. who are trying to find ways to um, create a better life for themselves. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the stories that I've been seeing pop up, especially within the last couple of years have been, um, these, um, caregivers in the Philippines who leave their children in the Philippines to come to the United States, whether, uh, um, to, to work in households as housekeepers or to, um, you know, be surrogates, um, to work mm-hmm. in nursing homes and hospitals. And so the sacrifice that these women are making in order to make a better life for their children. 
So it's very almost the antithesis of the 80s uh, uh, the Asian drain, the drain of Asia's, um, yeah. my, my, you know, um, what do you call them? Uh, the brain drain of the Asian within yeah. the Asian uh, diaspora in the nineteen late nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, and so it's kind of like these more kind of blue collar labor skilled workers coming in and just yeah. finding ways, but leaving their families. And so I just finished that um, recently. And this is fiction or nonfiction? This is a fiction book. Yeah, but based mm-hmm. on. Based on what we read and what we experience, like yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen a couple of articles in like I think yeah. it was Time a couple of months ago or something about it that talked about it too, okay. and it was on CNN recently as well. So what is uh, after that? What's the thing you're eager to read next? So my mom, my sisters, and I are all in a book club. That's what my mom wanted for Christmas this year. <laughs> she okay. wanted to be in a book club. Oh, nice, that's a <laughs> so, great idea. So. Um, she's been doing a lot of reading during the pandemic. So we're all, we all pick a book. Um, and of course I picked the longest book, which is Barack Obama's promised land. Oh um, yeah. Yes. But it is, I'm on page 200. I'm loving it. This is it's a page it's, turner. It is definitely a page turner. My mom yeah. is like reading like nonstop. Um, so we're going to do that. I think uh, the Dolly Parton book was, was one as well okay. um, that they put on the list. So they said she's nice. So that's what's um, on the list. Yeah, I've got, I think I've said this before on previous episodes, um, but I, I definitely want to get the Barack Obama audible version of mm-hmm. that. Oh, when Just, he's reading. Yes. Oh, yeah. Such I a brilliant him. man. <laughs> he's still with us, he's but so I miss him. <laughs> I miss him too. Uh, oh. um, anyway, uh, so what's a, assuming you listen to podcasts, and do mm-hmm. you listen to podcasts? I do. I do. So what's a podcast you particularly enjoy? Um, I love the moth. Oh, yes. Yes. I love the moth. (laughs) Have you ever thought about doing one of those? Uh, You know what? I have. I I do. And that's the thing is I, but I don't, um, it's, uh, it's funny. I actually don't like being in public that much. Like I don't like, like I'll do presentations. Like I think maybe you can relate. Like I am, I am someone who is more intro has become more introverted. So I, um, you know, mm-hmm. it, I'm more quiet. I like to process. I like to sit and reflect. And then when I present for work, I'm on, like, I know this is yep. like a gig. This is like, this is my job. This is what I do. Um, and I just, with the podcast, I think it, it's, I mean, with the moth, I, I feel like, wow, that's really, maybe that would be on my bucket list because it's, it's a, definitely kind of bearing your soul in some way. That is putting yourself out yeah, there. It's definitely yeah. putting yourself and you can't have notes. Either. I know that scares which the makes heck me out. nervous. <laughs> I'm like, I need a prompter, at least a bullet point, something. Yep. Yes. Yep. So yeah, or my sweaty palm. Like exactly. Either, either, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. there so I'd say the moth is one of okay. probably one of the ones is my go-to. Oh, good call. I love mm-hmm. the moth. Um, what's your favorite thing to make in the kitchen? Um, what is it? So recently, in the past year, especially with the start of the pandemic, it's really been making Filipino food. Like that is okay. what I've been making. Um, so one of the, the things I do like doing, and it, I think it's more of, um, it's me and kind of connecting with my family is, so I make egg rolls and it's one of the things that I always do with my mom. So my mm. mom and I'll sit there and we'll just, yeah. well, as she calls it, we'll chismis, which is like, we'll chat and we'll gossip making egg rolls. And so I've done it with my older sister and we'll just kind of sit there making egg rolls cool. together. And so- yeah. Um, so we'll do, so that's kind of one of the things and that I like to make, I'll just make randomly and it just puts me in a good space. 
even if she's not there with you, it's still, you still have that connection. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. really nice. Um, what do you use to take and keep notes? I, um, I write on notebooks. I, I can spend hours in staples. Um, I love office supplies. Um, (laughs) It's pre pandemic. I was ordering pens in Japan. Like that's cause, cause they come out with, um, points like instead, like, you know how, 0.5 0.5 is like fine. Like yeah, they fine. have micro fine, which is like 0.35 or 0.4, which I really like. Ooh, so you like a, a good sharp? I do like a good yeah, sharp. I, I, yes. I, 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 there's something about the. Uh, I, I've started writing with a fountain pen this year. So did I. I, I did and too. It changed everything. It's so beautifully done. Like it. it it's I. I found one. Um, a company called Uli. O O L Y. Okay. Um, it has a very thin one. It's not like a, it, I, I kind of still like a thin fa- um, fountain pen. Yeah. And it's, it's, I found it actually at Barnes and Noble. And then I found the replacement cartridges on Amazon. So, so um, but, and they come in different colors too, which I really liked. Yeah. Oh, mm. fa- I, yeah. Fountain pen is where it's at. Mm. Um, I, I used to take my notes for a long time, just in Evernote and, and not uh, digitally. Mm-hmm. And now I just, I write on paper with a fountain pen, then I take a picture and put it in Evernote. But there's okay. just that tactile experience. I just love that. Oh, oh. and the smudging. Oh. Yes. No, I, when your pinky gets smudged because you're, it's like yes. trapped underneath. Yes. Yep. Oh. Yep. So I, I have, I, I have pens. So definitely fountain pens are my thing this year. And also the erasables because I like making mistakes. So then I can erase them. I like making mistakes. Yes. I like making mistakes. (laughs) Um, And I also, I have a very particular type of paper. I don't like lined paper. Okay. So I either use graph paper or the dot paper or completely blank. Okay. I feel like it can be more creative that way. It's less structured. It it doesn't, at least for me. It, when I get when I see the lines, it takes me back to grade school. Yes, like need notebooks. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I'd mm-hmm. like to go a little more free flowing. Oh, I'm totally with you on that. <laughs> um, I'm going to start another podcast and just call it on writing. Oh, like, <laughs> just about I'm pens. It's like, going to be like off of pens and paper. <laughs> yeah, pens and paper. And yeah, stationary. Oh wow. Like uh, I, I still buy thank you cards. I still like writing yep. thank you cards. Yeah. So. Um, here's a plug for a piece of paper. Claire Fontaine. Oh my God. I love their paper. notebooks. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so plug for Ivy league stationery store on 117th and Broadway in New York city. They have a really good, <laughs> I go there every time I recruit in New York city, I buy notebooks. I stock uh, up on notebooks and my backpack uh, is usually just filled with Claire Fontaine notebooks. Uh, it's like um, I, I, a friend of mine says it's like writing on butter, and she's percent right. Oh, it is writing on like butter. Yes. 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 Um, you can also try. It's a little bit more affordable than Clairefontaine. Yeah, I'm not um, saying I have Clairefontaine. <laughs> I, I like it. Um, so there's a group of stores called Muji, which is a Japanese store. Oh, yeah. I always go to Muji when I'm in New yes. York. Okay, their their paper is amazing. It's super soft. It's a very nice soft paper as well. Thanks for the tip. Yeah, I have been there. I, like I said, I started doing fountain pens this year, and um, and, and have just started discovering paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I haven't been to New York since the thing started. So mm-hmm. next yeah. time I go, Muji, it is Muji, and there's like oh. there are like seven or eight of them across the city. Oh, yes, oh, yes, perfect. 
Okay. Do I have any more questions? I'm just going to stop there. That's magic. Um, okay. No, there's two more questions. Okay. So <laughs> what's, what's, what's a memorable bit of advice you've received? And it sounds like you've gotten a lot of great advice from people. Uh, be open to possibilities. Right on. Mm-hmm. And the last, name an item on your bucket list that you haven't yet checked off. Oh, well, didn't I? What was the one I just said? It was, oh, um, doing the moth. <laughs> doing the moth. Yeah. Like you pre, um, you, you pre, I just wanted to see if you yeah. wanted to come back to that and make it official. So, okay. I think performing on the moth. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I will watch for that episode. Let me know. Let me know and I'll link to it. Okay. Um, Peaches, this has been a blast. Thanks for, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, today. thank you so much. This was so much fun. I'm oh, so good. happy to be on this. This good. is great. This- I loved it. Oh, okay. Um, let's do it again sometime. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter two. Nothing but pens and exactly. notebooks. Yeah. <laughs> Next, we'll talk about notebooks. <laughs> Bound or uh, spiral? <laughs> I'll tell you what, these show notes are going to be fantastic. Um, <laughs> and I will provide the appropriate links to the things that we've discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the meantime, Peaches, may, may all your big dreams come true, at least the good ones. Mm-hmm. And to you, dear listener, thanks for listening. Be well and do well. Mm-hmm.